In the morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ, how are you today? You're listening to St. Mark and Bemidji's podcast, a podcast for people who like to leave their brains in gear and ponder the word of the Lord at home, in their car, on a bike, or wherever they find themselves. Wednesday this week, we marked the beginning of Lent with Ash Wednesday. It also just so happened to be Valentine's Day this year. So if you didn't make it to divine services this year, don't worry, I won't tell. But if you're feeling guilty about it, you should know that we're just happy whenever you come to hear the word of the Lord proclaimed in the company of the Fellowship of Believers. So join us next time, won't you? We'll all pretend that you've been there all along. All through the season of Lent, we'll have Wednesday night services at 6.30 p.m., and I hope that you can make it. Are you just getting off of work? Well, don't worry about it. Come as you are. There were plenty of Carhartts and work boots in the sanctuary on Wednesday, and I know they'll be there again next time. And of course, we'll continue to have divine services every Sunday at 8 and 10.30 a.m. Come and see for yourself what Jesus is all about. Don't take my word for it, and definitely don't listen to the talking heads on TV who tell you what to think. Today's podcast is a replay of the Ash Wednesday meditation titled, Accusations. And it's based on Job chapter 40 and 42. Grab a Bible or your Bible app if you have one and follow along. You can also look it up on BibleGateway.com if you don't have either one of those. And may God bless our time and the word together today. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, who calls each and every one of us to repentance in Him. Amen. I think we all know the power of an accusation, don't we? Accusations have the power to unseat world leaders. Accusations um, can ruin reputations. They can ruin relationships. They can tear apart a marriage. Even accusations that are false. Maybe especially accusations that are false. You ever heard the saying that a lie a lie has its way around the world twice before the truth has its pants on? Such is the insidious nature of accusations. Accusations, lies. I read from the Old Testament in the book of Job a few minutes ago, and I think we all can say that Job is a guy that knew the infuriating power of accusations. Now let me explain. We know the Old Testament story of Job. His suffering is legendary, even if you maybe have never even cracked open a Bible. The name Job immediately conjures up images of somebody who is who is destitute, down and out. And we read on the pages of Scripture how in one day he lost all his all his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his camels, even the servants. If you number all the humans and animals together, it's about a, a casualty list of about 10,000. All his wealth is wiped out, his income, his life savings, his retirement, gone. But that's not even the worst of it. His own sons and daughters were all eating and drinking together in the same house and it collapsed and they were all killed. And in one day, everything that was near and dear to him 
both in the flesh and in the terms of physical possessions, was ripped from his hands. If you were in Job's place, what would you do? What would we do? What would be on our minds in the face of such a thing? What would we say? The first couple chapters of the book of Job are stunning because of this reason. It says, Job tore his robe and he shaved his head in mourning. He fell to the ground, though, in worship. In worship, he falls down to the ground and utters those faithful words. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. He was devastated. But yet, Scripture says, in all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. But Job's ordeal wasn't over. Next, Satan attacked his physical health. His health went downhill. He was afflicted with painful boils from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. And I've spoken with some of you and uh, who have known what chronic pain is like. How it can drive your mind up and down the walls. You can't sleep. It hurts to lie down. It hurts to sit. The same is true with Job. His only Job's only relief, Scripture says, was that he was taking sharpened parts of broken pots and scraping his skin. It's the pressure. Well, maybe his wife, his valentine, would be of some assistance. What does she say to him? It's okay, honey. Curse God and die. That's what his wife said to Job. But still, Job remains faithful. He looks back at his wife and says, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Maybe you know what it's like to get hit by one thing after another. I've heard the phrase around here more than once that when it rains, it pours. Financial problems or the loss of a loved one or health issues or difficult relationships, all these different kinds of struggles, sometimes they come in these relentless waves one thing after another. And where do we turn? Where do we go? Friends can help, right? A shoulder to cry on. Someone to commiserate with. Several of Job's friends came to help him. And they sat there and in silence with him. And that's really the best thing that they did. You know, sometimes that is the only thing that you can do. When somebody is going through something difficult, you can just sit there and be present with them as they go through something hard. Unfortunately, Job's friends opened their mouth. They tried to rationalize Job's suffering, and their only explanation that all of them could come up with was this. You must have done something wrong, Job. You must have screwed up in some way, shape, or form because if you were really righteous, if you were really good, God wouldn't treat you this way. 
He wouldn't have afflicted you with all of these things. You must have done something to deserve this. And in their attempt to rationalize Job's situation, their attempt at consolation turns into what? An accusation. Maybe their, uh, maybe their accusations already resonated with Job and things that were going on and lurking in Job's mind. Maybe he was wondering the same exact thing himself. And finally, he cries out to God. He says, if I have sinned, what have I done to you? You who see everything we do, why? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Now that his friends have now turned on him and those accusations of his friends have resonated in Job's own mind, Job breaks. There's no other way to say it. He gives in to his despair and Job now, having been accused, now Job turns it around and he doesn't accuse his friends. He doesn't accuse himself anymore. Instead, he accuses God. He puts God on trial and accuses Him of being unjust, uncaring, this gigantic cosmic bully making Job's life miserable. Job crosses the line. This is one of the devil's favorite tricks to pull on people. Satan's name, after all, means accuser. And he oftentimes uses hardship for accusing us or making us turn it back around to accuse God. We see it in Job. We saw it back in the Garden of Eden. Remember that? In the fall into sin? God comes down to, to, to the garden and He calls to Adam, where are you? You remember what Adam says? The woman you put here with me. Whoa. This is the one that formed you out of the dust, man. The one who set the stars in their place and now you have the gall to accuse Him? And throw your wife under the bus at the same time? Either way, it's the devil's goal to drive that wedge between ourselves internally, but even worse, between ourselves and God as those accusations seek to drive a wedge and to push us farther apart. And we'll see just how far that gets over the next couple of weeks. We will see how, not just us, but how people literally put God on trial. And for reasons far, far less justifiable than Job's, we'll hear how Caiaphas, Herod, Pilate, and angry crowd, an angry mob, accused the Son of God in the flesh. Before we do that on this Ash Wednesday, we must consider how we have done the same. How we too have put God on trial. We might not say it out loud. However, accusations are, 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 are there beneath the surface. The accusations that we make towards God, we say things like, Lord, why would You have taken this person from me? Why would You have wrecked this relationship? 
Lord, am I not good enough for You? Lord, what have I done to deserve this? Lord, why have I been sick for so long? Lord, 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 why have You fill in the blank? I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm done. I'm at my wit's end. Why me? Why have You made me Your target? Like Job says. And maybe those words aren't ever fully formed on the tongue, but they still linger in our mind. Those accusations at the Almighty are still there in our impatience, in our frustration, in our complaining, in our criticism. At some point, we all cross the line too. Our lament or our sadness or our frustration turns into anger. And our questions become charges and accusations. God, this isn't fair. It's as though we are taking God and calling Him to the stand to explain Himself. Well, He does speak, but what does He say? Listen to what God said to Job. After allowing Job's friends to come and ply Him with accusations for roughly 38 chapters, and Job's frustrations and Job's anger and accusations then turn up to God, God confronts Job. He says, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. In other words, I'll ask the questions, Job. He goes on. Hey, Job, how did I make the universe? On what did I set its foundations? Job, what is the origin of light? Job, were you there when I put the boundaries in the sea, uh, on the sea and the land? Were you there when I hung the stars in their place? Were you there when I caused the rain and the thunder and the snow and the lightning? You've gone too far, Job. Job was brought to his senses. The Lord was putting Job back in his place. And in our reading earlier, we heard Job say, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. I repent in dust and ashes. And the Lord put Job back in his place, reminding him of who he is. And it's a good thing, too. Because the place that Job was put in was a place of repentance. It's a call for us to remember that when we accuse God, we've got it backwards. It's God who should accuse us. We sinful human beings deserve to be put on trial by God, by rights. And his question is and, and, and his question is not just what makes you think uh, what makes you think you know better than me, but rather, why should I not destroy you forever? God calls us to repentance too, and He does so through, through a church, through pastors, through elders, through preachers, through teachers, through Sunday school teachers, through day school teachers, through friends, through mothers and Christian mothers and fathers. He does this because He does not want us to lose our faith. He doesn't want us to lose our hope of salvation. And tonight, through His words to Job, we hear His call and we too realize that we need to repent. And through Job's words, God reminds us also of the forgiveness that He has for us. 
Throughout Job's ordeal, though he has sinned in accusing God, he never lost faith in God. One of the things that strikes me um, that is, uh, I don't know, maybe as I, I read them more, I think sometimes you know when we when we sing the psalms in church, sometimes they can kind of all run together and sort of sound like the same thing. Next time we're singing a psalm, pay attention to the words that we are saying. Focus in on them. Because more often than not, you will hear this exact same kind of theme. Consider the words of Jesus even. Jesus from the cross, as He hung there, reciting the words of Psalm 22 that we'll hear again on Good Friday. Ile, ile, lama sabachthani. That's the first line in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? Oftentimes we look up to God and we can struggle and we can wrestle with the Lord. But that does not mean we are losing faith in Him. We're calling out to our Father. We're calling out to the One that made us. The One who knit us together in our mother's wombs. The One who has preserved us even to this day. We consider again the words of Job. You know, in the middle of this book, in the middle of his ordeal, in the middle of his suffering, Job gives us, all the way from the Old Testament, Job gives us some words that have been etched into the poetry of our Easter celebrations. And you know what they are. I know, Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, He will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet I in my flesh will see God. Job clung to that hope through all of it. That he knew that he had a Redeemer. And we know that Redeemer's name. Jesus. In this Lenten season, we'll once again see our Redeemer up close. As the world had it all backwards with Him and put the Son of God on trial before sinful people. We'll see Him betrayed by, one, by His closest followers, arrested by a mob. We'll watch Him stand on trial, accused by false witness after false witness, charged with blasphemy. His accusers will spit in His face. They'll strike Him with their fists. They'll dress Him up like a king, put a crown of thorn on His head, and, and laugh at Him, humiliate Him. And from the courtroom, their, their vicious cries will ring out for His blood. Crucify Him. Crucify Him. And through all of it, does the Lord Jesus question God? Does He stand back and put God on trial? Does He say, explain yourself. Why have you done this to me? No. He takes it all silent as a lamb goes to the slaughter. Unlike Job, Jesus doesn't break. Unlike us, Jesus doesn't break. He does not sin. He will not cry out in anger or accuse God of injustice. Even though Jesus is truly righteous, He will not complain about all that He suffers because this is why He came. To take the accusation of sin. To undo the accusations that Satan levies against us and us sinners. We'll watch as Jesus carries His cross up to Calvary and dies there for all of our sins. 
against God. All of our injustices put on Him. When you suffer, when the pain doesn't go away, when you can't understand why things are happening that the way that they're happening, the accusations will come. Satan will whisper in your ear that it is your fault, that it's because of something that you have done. I pray, let it be our prayer that we remember the account of Job. Not so much the man, but the God who sustained him through all of it. You might recall how it all began that the Lord gave Satan permission to afflict Job with these things. and God was in complete control of all of it. He didn't let Satan take Job's life. He didn't let him take his faith. In fact, God brought blessing to Job and to us who read about him. Most of all, when you and I are tempted to accuse God in sin, remember how God took on flesh. Remember how Jesus took on flesh in order to take our accusations on Himself. And since all the accusations of the world's worth of sin of all people of all time fell on Him, not just one accusation of sin can ever fall to you. No punishment for sin remains. Everything was taken by Him. He is your Redeemer and He does live. He's right there beside you. He who endured suffering for you knows how to sustain you and to guide you and to lead you even when we suffer the most. And He who tells the sea to stop where it stops, He who put the stars in the sky, He who knit you together in your mother's womb, He who, he who holds Satan like a dog on a leash has the power even to use the worst things in our life for the best. As we see in Job, there's no need to despair. There's no need to accuse. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't really need to even understand it. Because God does. We don't honestly know what is going to happen with inside the next 10 minutes. But the Lord does. He guides, He leads, He protects, He redeems. May His name be ever praised. Amen. I sincerely pray that today's meditation on God's Word has enriched you. Didn't get enough of God's Word? Are you missing out on that in-person fellowship? We hold divine services right here in Bemidji, Minnesota at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Sunday school and adult Bible study is also offered between our Sunday services at 9.15 a.m. We also live stream our Sunday divine service at 8 a.m. You can ensure that you are notified when a stream is live or a new podcast is available by subscribing to our YouTube channel. It's easy to find by typing in St. Mark Bemidji in the search bar and clicking on the subscribe button. Want to listen to meditations the way I do every day? Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Go to podcastindex.org and search for St. Mark Bemidji to find us. This is our fifth year producing this podcast, and there is a large archive of devotional material online available if you want to learn more about God and His Word. Visit www.stmarksbemidji.org or look in the show notes in this podcast for a link to this and many other meditations on God. If you have any questions or you would like more information about our church and its ministry, please visit our website, which is once again www.stmarksbemidji.org. May God bless the rest of your day.